We're now at that point in our service where we are going to uh, read and reflect upon the scriptures together. And so uh, now that we have seen that history culminates in Jesus rising from the dead and the amazing events around that, Jesus appearing to over 300 people in the ensuing months, let's take a moment and see a snapshot of Jesus with one of his disciples. And now to read the scriptures, Jess Hines. The scripture reading today is from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. The passage that you just heard this morning is taken from the Gospel of John. And at the end of John's Gospel, we see Jesus. We see the risen Jesus walking, moving, interacting with different people. Uh, in, in various ways, people with, with, with very significant issues, people uh, that are just struggling, and he meets them in a very personal and, and, and beautiful and unique way. He, he meets a very distraught woman named Mary. He, he meets a, a very broken man named Peter, and he interacts with a skeptic named Thomas. Thomas is arguably the most famous doubter of all times. Uh, you know, he, uh, he, he, he doubted for just a minute in his life. But for 2,000 years, uh, he has been uh, labeled with the epithet, Doubting Thomas. Maybe you're a doubter just like Thomas. Maybe you have significant questions about whether Jesus Christ rose from the grave or not. Maybe those are the things, the questions, the doubts that you're wrestling with. And maybe for you, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it just, it seems like a myth. It, it seems like just a humongous hoax. Um, and if, if that's where you are, if that's true of you, then you need to know that Thomas's story is for you. Or maybe you don't doubt the, the resurrection. Maybe you believe that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave 2,000 years ago. But, but maybe the question for you is this. If he is alive, then why doesn't he seem more alive in my life? I mean, if he is alive, 
then, then why am I going through the things that I, I'm going through? And why don't I experience him more powerfully? If he is alive, then, then where is he? And, and maybe those are the questions that you're wrestling with this morning. And if they are, you need to know that Thomas's story is also for you. Because regardless of, of where you are, um, whether you are someone who is wrestling with the, 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 the resurrection of Christ in a, in a philosophical or intellectual way, or if you're just wondering, where are you, Jesus? If you're alive, where are you? No matter where you are, the fact of the matter is that for many people, for many people, doubts abound. And the question that our story is inviting us to ask this morning is this, how can I, how can I move from a place of doubt to a place of faith? Thomas's story is here to help us with that question. The story itself unfolds in two scenes. In scene one, we meet doubting Thomas. In scene two, we meet believing Thomas. And, and we're going to see through this story how Thomas got himself into a place of doubt. And then in the second scene, how he got out of it. Does that make sense? Okay, let's go. Scene one, doubting Thomas. At the beginning of this scene, it seems, it seems as though... Um, Thomas is nowhere to be found. He is nowhere to be found. That's what it says. When, when Jesus met with the disciples, Thomas was, was nowhere. Now, of course, the disciples are thrilled that Jesus is alive. Uh, they had just seen him die, and now several days later, he's alive, and they're talking with him. And in their excitement, they go out and they, they find Thomas, and they say to him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas isn't buying it. He's got his doubts. You've got to wonder, why did he doubt? These were good men. These were his friends. He had just spent three years with them. He knew that they were good men. He knew that they weren't liars. Why did he doubt? Well, the passage doesn't tell us, doesn't tell us, but I suspect, I suspect, I suspect that it probably has something to do with his natural temperament. I mean, when you, when you meet Thomas elsewhere in the gospel, he doesn't strike you as an overly optimistic kind of person. I mean, for example, in Luke chapter 11, we're told that Jesus was uh, going to go to Judea and raise his friend Lazarus from the grave. And he says to them, we need to go to Judea so that I can raise Lazarus uh, from death. And Thomas says, yes, let us go there so that we might die. Uh, th- that seems to be a little bit over the top. But you, you get a sense of who this this character was. This was a man, he was a passionate man, but he had a tendency to go to some pretty dark places pretty quickly. 
And so that may help to explain in part why it was that, that Thomas doubted. But I think there's something else. I, I think there's another thing happening here. And I think it's this. Thomas expected Jesus to be a certain kind of Messiah. He expected the kingdom that Christ would bring in to to be the kind of kingdom that would free Israel from Roman occupation and and bring in uh, an era of unprecedented uh, political, economic, and social vitality. And everything, everything, in Thomas's mind that he saw Jesus do seemed to confirm that bias. I mean, every time that, that Jesus worked a miracle, every time, whether it was turning a few loaves of bread into enough food for thousands of people or casting out demons or walking on water, every time that Thomas saw Jesus perform a miracle, he was like, that's right. That's my man. But then Jesus went and got himself arrested. And Thomas looked on in horror as three long Roman nails bit into Jesus' hands and feet and pinned him to a cross and that wasn't supposed to happen. Not in Thomas's mind. You, you, you cannot have Jesus on a cross. That can't be. That can't be the plan. It can't be part of the script. Psychologists call it confirmation bias. It's the tendency that we have to interpret or favor information in a way that confirms pre-existing ideas or opinions that we hold. Um, it is an unwillingness to entertain, to even look at any data that would challenge or contradict the things that we believe. It's uh, hearing, it is seeing, as Thoreau said, only what we already have know to be true. That's confirmation bias. And Thomas, it would seem, has a bad case of confirmation bias. And so he's alone. He's alone. Is it any wonder that he's alone? I mean, he's in pain. And I don't know about you, but when you're in pain, sometimes it can be hard to be social. Sometimes it can be hard to be chatty. All you can think about when you're in pain is the pain itself. And I think that Thomas is just trying to manage the pain. I mean, have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody who's just stubbed their toe? It doesn't work. Thomas is in pain. Actually, he's disillusioned. And that's okay. Disillusionment is actually a good thing, provided that it leads to faith. No. Thomas's problem isn't disillusionment. It's illusion. It's seeing things that aren't there. It's believing things that aren't true. It's, it's a way of seeing Jesus 
that really doesn't sync with who Jesus really is. This, this, my friends, is where doubt flourishes. It's when the Jesus that you thought you knew doesn't line up with the Jesus who actually is. And when that happens, and particularly when the circumstances of your life are really difficult, which they are, it can be an incredibly confusing and bewildering time. The Jesus that we see in our story and in the Bible and in the Gospels, who rose again, never promised you a trial-free life. In fact, quite the opposite. He said that in this life, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I am going to put an end to sin. I will put an end to death. I have conquered, he said. I have conquered. And it's better to figure this out sooner than later. It's better to know who Jesus is now. Better to know this now so that if you lose your job or your hours get cut or you're not sure how you're going to pay the rent or the mortgage or you you don't know how it's going to be for your parents managing COVID or you're not sure what to do when you're your, your stock portfolio takes a, a hit. Uh, it's better to know who Jesus actually is and to know it now. Better to know these things. Otherwise, the danger of just collapsing in on yourself like Thomas is a real thing. It happened to Thomas. And Thomas is a, in a bad way. Actually, he's irritated. And the disciples aren't helping the matter. I mean, not in Thomas's mind. When when they see Jesus, when they see that Jesus has risen, in their excitement they, they, they turn to Thomas and they say, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Really? How wonderful for you. How absolutely wonderful for you. But unless I see the marks in his hands and put my hand in his side, unless I put my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side, I will never believe. Never. The French theologian John Calvin said that the stupidity of Thomas was astonishing and monstrous. (laughs) You know, I, I like a lot of what John Calvin says. But come on, John. That that's a bit harsh. That's a bit over the top. Because when I look at this man in our story, when I look at Thomas, I I don't see a man who wanted to doubt. I I don't see a man who liked his doubts I see a man for whom his, his doubts were a grief and an agony. I see a man who wanted to believe. He just wanted some proof. 
That's all he wanted. He just wanted some proof. He's, he's not like the cynic. The cynic who, who already knows everything and, and has already formed opinions and, and can see through everything and knows that you've got an angle. He's, he's not like the kind of skeptic who doesn't need any information, any proof, any evidence, because he, because she, determined a long time ago that there's, there's no way that Jesus Christ could ever come back to life again. No. Thomas is the true skeptic. He's a true skeptic. He wants to believe. He wants to believe with all of his heart. He wants to know but he wants to know for himself if I, unless I, unless I. And there's something really good about that. There's something really good about making it yours and and not settling for a, a safe, easy, superficial, insubstantial kind of faith, the kind that... You, you have, not because you believe it, but because someone handed it down to you. When I was in high school, I sometimes got my brother's hand-me-downs. And because he was a year older and just a little bit bigger, I'll say that, just a little bit bigger, uh, the next year, his friends would come up to me and they would say, Hey, Stringer, that's totally your brother's shirt. And it was. It was totally my brother's shirt, and it never seemed to fit me quite right. It, it never felt like mine. Now, some of you who are watching this morning, you grew up in the church. Uh, you had a Christian family, but, but somewhere along the line, you just decided to walk away from it for whatever reason, for whatever reason. Or maybe you're coming back to it right now. I mean, COVID can have that kind of impact. What I want to say to you, and I think what what the story really bears out this morning, is this. It's time to make it yours. It's time to say, unless I. It's time to say that. And Jesus wants you to make it yours this morning. Some of you never grew up in the, in the Christian faith. You didn't grow up in a, in a church-going family. And, and maybe a lot of what I'm saying this morning just sounds like a different language. I, I understand that. But could I just encourage you? Could I encourage you? To not ignore your doubts, but to really, really engage them. And and as you think about who Jesus is and this story of Jesus rising again from death to life, could could you not just go to pop culture and and, and their view of of who Jesus is? Would would you be willing to really think through what the Word of God and and the Gospels have to say about who Jesus is 
and, and the fact that he died for your sins and then three days later rose again from death to break the power of sin and to, to break the death itself, to destroy death and bring you safely home when all is said and done. Listen, if, if this was a comparative religion course and I was your professor and you wrote an essay on the life of Jesus. If you only cited Time Magazine, Bill Maher, or um, some other, uh, the History Channel, I would fail you. I would totally fail you. And you know I would have to fail you. Because you can't do that. You, you have to go to the original sources. And so could I just encourage you to go to the original source, go to the Word of God, go to the Gospels, ask your toughest questions, do your homework, do your research, and, and ask this. Ask Jesus to show you. Listen, if he did rise, if he is alive, if he died for your sins and rose three, year, three uh, days later, don't you think he'll want to convince you and persuade you? Don't you think he'll show you? Don't you think he'll reveal that to you? Do your homework. Do your research. Bring your doubts. Uh, bring all of your questions. And if you do that with sincerity, Jesus will, the, the, the risen Jesus, will reveal himself to you as the risen Savior that he is for you. You don't have to go on doubting. Thomas, Thomas didn't want to doubt. He wanted to believe. But here's the amazing thing about the story. Not only did, did Thomas want to believe, Jesus wanted him to believe also. Scene two. Scene two. Believing Thomas. So a full week has now gone by. Uh, since the disciples found Thomas. And nothing much has changed in terms of Thomas's doubt. But something has changed. What has changed? His geography has changed. Did you, did you see that? He's, he's no longer alone. He's, he's with the disciples. They're in a large locked room together. And then he's there. He just, he appears. Jesus appears in that room. He, he walks in through a locked door as though it's wide open. He walks into that, that room alive as though he were never dead. And he says, peace to you because that's how you said hello in those days. And then he turns his attention to Thomas because that is, after all, why Jesus is there. I mean, there, there's no other business on the agenda. Uh, there are no other conversations that take place as far as we know. No, this conversation is for Thomas and for Thomas alone. And Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, put your fingers in my hands and put your Put your hand in my side and do not disbelieve, but believe. 
you wonder, you wonder how Jesus knew it all. He knew, how did he know that? How did he know all of that? And Thomas is thinking about these things. He's looking at Jesus. He's listening to him. He's seeing his hands. And now he speaks. He doesn't say much. He doesn't say much. Just five words come out of his mouth. But he says everything. My Lord and my God. That's quite a statement. How how is it that Thomas is confessing Jesus to be his Lord and his God? What did he know? What did he see? This, I think. A week earlier, a week earlier, when Thomas was in the room with the disciples, a week earlier, when he was saying, unless I put my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side, unless I do that, I I will never believe. And now, a week later, when Jesus is there, because he wasn't a week earlier, Jesus repeats, echoes, mirrors back to Thomas his very words. Thomas, put your fingers here. Put your hand in my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe. How did he know? How, how did he know? How did he know that those were my questions? How did he know that those were my doubts, my demands? He knew, Thomas, the way he knows everything about you. All of your doubts, all of your fears. He knows you the way that only God could know you. My Lord and my God. Caravaggio, the broke painter, painted this scene in 1602. It's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. And in the painting, uh, Caravaggio has depicted Jesus pulling Thomas's hand into his side past the ragged edges left by the sword. And the look on Thomas's face is one of Chastened humility. It is an absolute masterpiece. There's only one thing wrong with the painting, if I could say that. There's there's no evidence whatsoever that Thomas ever put his hand in Jesus' side. It, It would seem that all that it took was just to see Jesus, hear hear his words, and to see his hands. And all of his doubt evaporated in a second. John calls them marks. They're not wounds. They're not wounds. 
A wound is an open, angry, bleeding thing. No, no. What, what Thomas saw that day were scars. A scar is a healed wound. And Jesus' wounds are healed. And they are healed because he's not dead, because he is alive, because he has risen. For Thomas, those scars were what it took to cure his doubt. They cured his doubt. And they can cure your doubt this morning. Because those hands, those scars, those marks, they tell us that Jesus Christ died and died for your sins, but rose again three days later and in his rising broke the power of sin and demolished death so that one day when this life passes and we move to the next, God will receive us as we come to Christ by faith. It was those marks that cured Thomas's doubt. It's those wounds, those marks, those scars rather, that can cure your doubt this morning. No matter who you are, no matter where you are on your journey of faith or doubt, Let me say a few things to you uh, by application, by way of application as I conclude this morning. I want to talk to those of you this morning who are followers of Christ, those who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but, but not right now, in a minute. First, I want to talk to those of you who are skeptical who have doubts as to whether or not Jesus Christ ever rose from the grave. I I want to re-encourage you to take your doubts seriously and to ask your toughest questions. But as you do, would you, would you please, would you remember the scars? Because those scars tell you that he loves you. Every religion that I know of says that you've got to do something. You've got to keep some rules in order to gain God's love. But Jesus says you can't gain God's love by your obedience. You can't gain his love. You cannot. Jesus says, I love you. And I have expressed my love by giving my life for you. And then raising it again for your newness of life and for life eternal, life that never ends with me. And I want to suggest to you that nobody has ever loved you like that. And Jesus wants you this morning to stop disbelieving and to believe. And could today be the day when you do just that, where you stop disbelieving and you believe that Jesus Christ was dead but is now alive and join the millions of people who for thousands of years have believed that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world.
I want to say something to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. I want to say four things, actually, by way of application. Four things. First of all, first of all, would you let the marks in his hands, the healed wounds, interpret your current situation? Right now, things are difficult. Right now, things are hard for you. And God knows that. But there is such a danger of misinterpreting the circumstances of your life and concluding that he, he is nowhere to be found, that you're on your own, that you're alone. Would you let the scars in his hands tell you a different story? Would you let them say to you, I was dead, but I'm alive, and I am with you, and I am doing a powerful work in your life, and I will use the difficulty of your circumstances to change you and mold you and make you more into my image. Could you, would you, let those scars, let those marks correctly interpret the difficulty that you're going through this morning. And second, and second, if you have doubts, if you have serious questions, would, would you embed yourself in community? Would you put yourself within a community of faith, a community of believers, of Christians? And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus loves community, and he loves to be in community. And it's in community, just like with Thomas, where, where doubt moves to faith, where doubt disappears and faith rises. I would say if, if you're not part of one of our small groups or grace gatherings, go online, find one, but, but get connected. You don't have to be alone. And bring your doubts into the light. You don't have to hold on to them in privacy. Bring them into the light. You see, the marks of Christ tell us that you're free to bring your doubts. Who cares what people think? You want to bring them into the light of community because it's there that Jesus will work. That's the second thing. A third thing is this. Let the sight of those scars encourage you. And by encourage you, I mean put courage in you. Listen, life is short. How short, we don't know. But before long, before long, all of us are going to move on over to the other side. We're going to die. Those scars in his hands, which tell us that he was dead, but he's alive, they remind us that this life is not everything. Don't hold on to this life as though it is everything. You can let it go and let it go for the sake of others to live courageously and sacrificially and beautifully and other-orientedly because life is short. But Christ rose from the grave and conquered death. Can't you let that just free you up this morning to think about those who are in deep need and in deep fear with deep doubts 
and reach out to them in the name of Jesus Christ. Three, here's four. And I'll end with this. At the end of the story, Jesus says to Thomas, you've believed because you saw, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas had to see the wounds to be a a carrier of the truth of the gospel. He had to be able to say to people, I saw it with my eyes. But most people in history won't see those wounds with their own eyes. We have to live by faith. But hear this. Life is hard and life is difficult. God knows it is. But Jesus pronounces his benediction and his blessing on those who are trusting in him and living by faith and seeing those marks on his hands by faith. Jesus says, you're blessed. You're loved. You're accepted. You're favored by God. And friends, What in this life could be more important than that? Than to know that the Father is pleased with you as you live by faith, as you cast your eyes by faith upon those marks. And those marks that are there because Jesus, although he died for your sins, is alive and lives now and forevermore. And Jesus, my friend, would want you this very day and this morning to stop disbelieving, but believe. He is alive. The one who died is alive. And he is alive for you. Do not disbelieve, but believe and pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the story of Thomas, which convinces us that Jesus Christ is alive. The one who was dead the one who died for our sins, is alive. And Father, I pray for those this morning who are struggling with significant doubts, whether intellectual doubts or just wondering where you are if you're alive, Jesus. Would you persuade them? Would you convince them? Would you build faith? Would you move them from doubt to faith? And would you help them to see those scars, those marks, for the love gifts that they are and encourage and empower so that we, my Father, in this day, in this very difficult day, live for you, celebrate you, rejoice in you, and in your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who is dead but is now alive and alive forevermore. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.